Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to Franchises and Filmogs Season 3. This message will explode in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This episode will contain explicit language along with spoilers for J.J. Abrams' film Mission Impossible 3 from 2006. Welcome back to Franchises and Filmogs. This is Zach, your host. Today, watched a pretty great recovery movie. Uh, we watched Mission Impossible 3. It is the 2006 J.J. Abrams film, the third of the Mission Impossible franchise, which is what we are focusing on in season three. And we had just watched the second in the previous episode, and that was an adventure. And I actually have a little story I would like to share uh, that that might make me appreciate or hate that movie more. I'm not sure, but that that movie was not good when I watched it. This past week, I was down taking care of a dog, taking care of my parents' dog, and I stayed there for a full week. And on the very last evening, I went to take the garbage out because I wanted to make sure all of the trash that I had left around their house was clean and cleared uh, due to the pandemic, of course. And I was walking down the steps. They have these outdoor stairs and you have to go outside to take the garbage out. You go around the house, take out the garbage. So I was walking down the outdoor stairs and the I think it was the fourth to last step from the bottom was completely iced over. And I had forgotten that their steps get icy they live in Washington state, so it, it gets pretty cool over here. And this was the first evening, I think, that any of the steps really iced over. But I'm walking down the steps, and it's all fine until I get to that fourth to the bottom step. And I did a total fall down the rest of the stairs. And four stairs doesn't sound like a lot, but they are wood stairs with some space in between. And I fell down those stairs pretty gloriously with a garbage bag in my hand and the garbage bag went flying in the air and fell on top of me and I I didn't lose consciousness but I was extremely disoriented I think I fell mostly on my side but there was a moment where I was not sure if I hit my head and could have had a concussion and of course there's no one there I did yell the f word pretty loudly but there was no one there and I was pretty concerned and my main concern and this is, this is a real problem. My main concern, aside from possibly having a concussion, was that the final film that I might have watched in my lifetime, if I did hit my head and had a serious injury, would have been Mission Impossible 2. Now, maybe I appreciate that movie more because I smack-talked it a lot last week, but it could have been karma and maybe the ghost of John Woo. I'm pretty sure John Woo's still alive, but his, his ghost... Uh, or his soul came over and pushed me down the stairs because I talked some smack about him. Uh, and that's only going off of one movie. That's the only John Woo movie I've seen. But I I do apologize if if that was the cause of my fall. I still think it's a pretty bad movie. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll get hit by a car tomorrow or something after saying this, but I guess we'll see what happens. Anyways, we're moving on from that movie. No more Mission Impossible 2. 
I don't need to talk about it anymore. If you have not heard that episode, I think it was one of the more fun episodes because it, it had some true opinions from me in it. Uh, but that made me appreciate Mission Impossible 3 so much more. Mission Impossible 3, I think J.J. Abrams saved this franchise. That started off okay. Mission Impossible 1 was okay. It You could see it growing from there. But Mission Impossible 2, complete backstep. Mission Impossible 3, J.J. Abrams's debut feature film is Mission Impossible 3, 2006, and he kills it. Do I think it's the best Mission Impossible uh, movie in the in the franchise? No. No, I don't. But when you compare it to Mission Impossible 2, it is like comparing a one-star movie to a five-star movie. When you compare it to Mission Impossible 1, it's like a three-star movie to a five-star movie. So it is much better than both of those. Uh, and I really think it's the turning point in this franchise. And I am excited now to talk more about Mission Impossible and finish off this franchise uh, through the sixth film. So we're here. We're here. It's time to get going. Mission Impossible 3. I got a couple of facts about Mission Impossible 3. First of all, this film had a $150 million budget, which is one of the biggest budgets, at least in 2006. And it is, that's a wild budget. I don't know what I could do with $150 million, but I honestly don't think I could do any good with that money. So I'm glad that I don't have that kind of budget in my life. Uh, let's see, what else? We got Ricky Gervais, who is not in this film. He was replaced by Simon Pegg. And Simon Pegg was once asked about being famous. And he was like, it's not like I'm in Mission Impossible 3 or anything. Now, I don't know too much about that fact, but... I think it was during filming a Mission Impossible 3, and he did know he was going to be in it. So I think it was a joke, but I'm not sure. I think Ricky Gervais would have been interesting because Simon Pegg has stuck through the franchise. I think he's even in Fallout, which is the newest one. I think he's in 3 through all of the newer ones, um, but not certain. So I guess we'll find out. Carrie Russell, who plays one of the agents and is mostly in the beginning of this film, she trained for three months for the action scenes that she partook in. Uh, and there's a lot of action scenes throughout this film. We'll talk about that. The last fact I'm going to drop, or it's kind of two facts. David Fincher apparently dropped out of directing this film. I think it was to produce another film from what I read. Uh, but Mission Impossible would be vastly different if David Fincher directed it, I'm sure. So that would have been interesting. And how I know it would have been vastly different is Sylvester Stallone was going to play the main villain in this film until Fincher was no longer directing it. So that is wild to me. I, I don't even know what a Stallone-Fincher team-up uh, film would be, but that that's wild. That would be interesting. Maybe David Fincher should direct a Rocky film. That'd be super interesting. Uh, but yeah, those are those are the facts I've got this time. We're going to take a quick break here. And then we will talk about Mission Impossible 3. Mission Impossible 3 was really the first time I've had a really good time watching the Mission Impossible franchise. So I am very happy that I get to talk about it today. 
Uh, it's a complete tone shift from Mission Impossible 2. There's this crazy intense opening scene that is like a flash forward. And I love a cold open like that where they show us what's going to happen, but we have no idea how they get there, what the outcome of that's going to be, what's going on. And we are introduced right away to the villain who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. We'll talk about the cast. Uh, he's fantastic. He is terrifying in this film. And I mean, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. He is one of the best actors that ever lived. Uh, and, and this film really shows it. This is not like a performance that he had to be amazing in. I think that it's such a big franchise that no matter who you cast in that role, whether it was Sylvester Stallone or Philip Seymour Hoffman, which are very different people. So that still amazes me that we almost got Sylvester Stallone in this role. But Philip Seymour Hoffman is just, he's so good in this film. And he doesn't have to be. It would make money no matter what. So I, I'm glad that they cast him. And I'm glad that we get to see him in a Mission Impossible film. And he is a perfect fit for this role. That opening scene, from there until the end of the film, I am glued watching this film because it is so fast-paced. It is a very different tone, like I said, in, as Mission Impossible 2. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 had all these slow-mo scenes that kind of drag the film down more than anything. Like It feels like they're really trying to stretch it to be two hours. This film flies by. It feels like it's maybe an hour-and-a-half action flick, like Die Hard or something. Uh, I think Die Hard is closer to an hour and a half, the original, but I'm not certain, so I might be wrong on that. But nonstop action, just a good time. This is a film that I don't think I got to see in cinemas, but if they re-released it in cinemas, like maybe when the Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8 come out, I will get to go and watch like a marathon of these films. Oh man, I can't imagine seeing through Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 2, just to get to this film, but I would love to see just Mission Impossible 3 in theaters. I think I've seen the three next films in theaters. I think I saw Ghost Protocol in theaters. I know I saw Rogue Nation in theaters, and I know I saw Fallout in theaters, uh, but this one is just a true fun action popcorn flick, really, and it's got the J.J. Abrams touch. You've got those lens flares that he is famous for, and they are well put in this film I don't like I don't think that I'm a huge person to notice a bunch of lens flares unless it's pointed out to me and now that JJ Abrams is known for lens flares I get it I get it there's a lot of them I like it I like it a lot we've also got a new story about well I, I there, there are aspects to the story that are new it's still a pretty similar story there's one bad guy who is trying to release this weapon that I don't think they really ever explain in this film. That's one fly I had with this film is we don't really know what the rabbit's foot is, but we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman's character who is obtaining this rabbit's foot. And I think it's some sort of explosive, some giant explosive that would explode like bigger than a nuke. I, I don't really know. Uh, but you've got that, but then you throw in this love story as well. You've got Tom Cruise in love with, Michelle Monaghan and he basically has to save her because Philip Seymour Hoffman's character finds out too much information about Ethan Hunt and so he knows all about his girlfriend and they were just getting engaged and it's 
It's a mess. It's a mess. I don't know how you can be in a relationship and be a spy. I'm sure there are people that do it. Uh, but I mean, this is a, a fictional film, but I'm sure there are relationships that are kind of edgy like this. So it, it's interesting to watch and it definitely makes for a more fun film than Mission Impossible 2 or even 1. And I think that's mostly due to the performances. Michelle Monaghan is fantastic as Tom Cruise, as Tom Cruise's, I guess, uh, wife eventually in the film. Tom Cruise is fantastic as always. You've got Billy Crudup, and I might be saying that wrong. I don't know if it's Crudup or Crudup, uh, but he's great in this film. We've got Lawrence Fishburne, who I think is new to the franchise in this film. We've got Ving Rhames, who is like the one constant, I think, throughout all the films, aside from Tom Cruise. You've got Simon Pegg, who could have been Ricky Gervais, but that didn't happen. So Simon Pegg has stuck through it after Mission Impossible 3. I think he's in rogue nation ghost protocol and uh fallout you got carrie russell you've got who did i leave out i think i left someone out yeah i guess philip seymour hoffman was the only other person i didn't talk about real quick but uh they they're all fantastic and i think this is like the dream team for a, a mission impossible film and i can see why like half of them stuck around for the later films Unfortunately, Philip Seymour Hoffman is not in any of the other films after this one. Uh, at least I don't I don't think so. Like, I don't remember any, like, flashbacks or anything with him in them. I think Michelle Monaghan might not be in any of the other films after this one, which is kind of weird because they end it in a strange spot. I really need to rewatch Ghost Protocol, so I'm excited to rewatch that and see where they go with the franchise from this one. Uh, but yeah. This whole cast really makes this film a complete turnaround. It is missing Anthony Hopkins, which we did get in Mission Impossible 2. I wish they didn't waste him on that. I wish he wasn't wasted in that film and we could have seen more of him as maybe a villain or something else. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't get any more Anthony Hopkins in Mission Impossible. Um, but this cast is its fantastic. I, I can't say much more about it. Uh, but I think we'll take a break here and then we're going to talk about the spy tech again, which is something I'm pretty much doing every episode because that's one of the, the selling points of the Mission Impossible franchise. The spy tech in this film has definitely advanced from the first two films, but there's a couple things that are still a little outdated here. We've got this Kodak camera eye scanner, where I'm pretty sure Kodak cameras hardly exist anymore. If you don't know what a Kodak camera is, it's a disposable camera. It's one of these cameras you used to get like at the supermarket or at a drugstore, and you would take photos, and then you would take it back to a supermarket or a drugstore and get those photos developed. I don't know if millennials will really understand what I'm talking about, but it's a little outdated now, I don't know why you'd really use a Kodak camera to relay a message at all. It's like this eye scanner that tells Ethan, he always has to have this thing that tells him that he needs to accept this mission. Um, and he always accepts it, of course. Uh, but this this camera is what they use in the film. So that's pretty cool. And it, it self-destructs, but when it self-destructs, it doesn't really like blow up. It just kind of burns the film, I guess. So pretty interesting. I used to use a Kodak camera like once a year 
I would go to summer camp and we would just bring those with us and take photos so that my parents could see like what I was doing at camp. And that was like the only real record we had of, of summer camp. So I still have those photos. I don't know how well photos last if, if any, I preserve it better, but that's what a Kodak camera is. You've also got this like vascular x-ray scanner that can scan through buildings to find people. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, it worked pretty well and it's kind of just like an infrared scanner. I guess that detects body heat. So that's cool. You've got grappling hooks. There's certain scenes in this film that kind of reminded me of like the dark Knight. So that was interesting to me. Uh, the grappling hooks pretty common in, in these films. I think there might be grappling hooks in like every mission impossible film. They also have a scene in this film where Ethan is like suspended. They go to the Vatican and he's like suspended a couple feet above the ground and he's just like lying flat, uh, which seems to be a callback. I think they do that in both the first and the second film. So we'll have to keep watching and see if they do that again. There are face mask improvements. Uh, face masks are probably the most iconic spy tech from the Mission Impossible series. Uh, and in this film, they kind of show you that it's basically just a 3D printed mask. I still think it's flawed. They do show us, so in the first film, we just have these masks, like no explanation whatsoever from what I remember. The second film, we have these voice chips that go with the mask, which explains how they can talk in the person that they're impersonating's voice. In this film, we have all that, but we add like the process of how they make the face mask which is pretty cool to watch. I think JJ Abrams did a good job or whoever was on his FX team did a good job of showing this. It's basically a 3d printer, but this was pretty early on like 3d printing. I don't know if 3d printing really existed at this time, but it basically looks like a 3d printer. I don't know how they got this technology to make these masks within like one minute or two minutes. It's pretty wild but it's really cool. It's still flawed because of like height issues. Tom Cruise does not have the same stature as Philip Seymour Hoffman at all. Uh, so I, I mean, that's a flaw, but it, it works, I guess it works. They're, they're improving it. Maybe by fallout, we'll see a complete explanation of everything. I think you could spend like half a film explaining how they make these face masks. We've also got this melty spray, which is what I want to call it, that they just spray on this van to help Philip Seymour Hoffman escape. And by spraying it on this van, I guess they just create like a, an entrance or an exit because um, it just melts the side of the van or it explodes the side of the van. So that's kind of cool. And then they have these brain detonators that don't make too much sense to me, but they work in this film uh, where they just shove it up your nose to your brain. And if you don't do what they want, they'll just explode your brain. Uh, we see that happen to Carrie Russell's character. Uh, and it's pretty creepy. Like her eye looks really bad after it explodes. Uh, but there's some weird science behind all this. I don't know what happens like if this brain detonator doesn't explode because Tom Cruise's does not explode by the end of the film. So I'm just like, he's just got this metal chip in his brain now for the rest of his life or, or what they do like diffuse it by, uh, defibrillating him, zapping him. 
And they don't really explain that. I mean, I guess they're trying to like offset the charge. I don't know enough about batteries and that sort of thing, but I guess they're trying to like offset the charge and that's how they explain how to undo the detonator. It doesn't make much sense to me, but I'm no scientist. Maybe JJ Abrams did his research on this and maybe this is completely possible. I don't know. Uh, Last thing I, I wanted to talk about with Mission Impossible 3 is the settings. There are some interesting settings throughout this film. We've got sewers, which is pretty common in spy films. We've got like a an underground theme in a lot of James Bond films. Uh, we've got an airplane scene where we have Tom Cruise, who's dangling Philip Seymour Hoffman out of this airplane. Pretty cool. There's no... Uh, there's no stunts that really stood out to me. And I was like, oh my God, Tom Cruise did that. But this whole film is just like action and stunts. So I think it kind of dumbs that down and makes it all feel a little more average. I'm sure Tom Cruise did some crazy, crazy shit in this film. Uh, But we don't see it quite as much just because it's like nonstop action. We've also got the Vatican. And there's one point where... Tom Cruise dresses, I think, like like a bishop or a cardinal. I don't know too much about that. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know much about that. But I would love to see a Pope Thomas Cruise film maybe down the line, like a, a little spinoff, Pope Thomas Cruise the third. I don't know. Um, and then we've got Shanghai, which is where a lot of the action at the end takes place. And it looks pretty cool. But for the most part in Shanghai, we're really in one building. So I don't know where they actually filmed a lot of this film, but the settings are all really cool. The Vatican looks really cool. I guess it's not too hard to break into the Vatican according to what happens here, or it is kind of hard, but they're, they're professionals. They know how to do it. I actually don't think it would be as hard as they make it look to break into the Vatican, but what do I know? I've never been there. I don't know what kind of security they have. I do know they have pretty tight security. Um, but they, they seemed pretty capable of breaking into the Vatican pretty easily to get to a party that Philip Seymour Hoffman was at. So I also don't really know why he was at the Vatican. I guess it was just some, some sort of protocol thing for him to be there since he's an arms dealer. Um, overall, this is a solid Mission Impossible film. And I think it's the first solid Mission Impossible film. So I, I would venture to say that this film might make the franchise what it becomes after this film. I would give it a three and a half out of five. There's definitely room for improvement. There's some story issues, I think, throughout. But this has the best characters I've seen so far. Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance is great. Tom Cruise seems to be not overacting as much as he was in the first two films. He seems to be taking this a little more seriously and a little less cheesily. So I'm happy with that. J.J. Abrams makes the tone really intense throughout the whole film. It's not like too emotional, but there's there's definitely a love story going on and there's there's threats to life. So I think it is up there as one of the best Mission Impossible films. Next, or I guess this coming Thursday, we're going to talk about Ghost Protocol, which when it came out, I remember being like, that is the best Mission Impossible film. And since then, they've just gotten better and better. So I'm really excited to compare it to Fallout and Rogue Nation. 
I think it's going to hold up pretty well. And if it's as good as this film, I'm happy. So we'll talk about that on Thursday. I hope you'll join me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to send me a message of your thoughts on this film or on any other other Mission Impossible film. Uh, and we're, we're over halfway done with this series, so you can also let me know what directors you want me to watch or what franchises you want me to watch next.